Today's scripture reading is Matthew 13, 44 to 46. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Peace be with you. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you for this, this moment in time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for knowing our name, for bringing us in your presence together to worship Jesus. I pray that by the end of our time together, those who are in you would see Christ as our truest treasure and those without you the same. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Doing some research this week, I was looking around to see extraordinary stories about people who found rare treasures. And I came up, uh, across an article that was written in a newspaper from 1986 about a man who was a rock collector. And this man was obsessed with rocks and rocks that were specialty, uh, that were special and that were unique. And he went to a flea market. And there he passed a booth of a man who was just selling unique and fun-looking rocks. And so the man saw a rock, and when he saw the rock, his heart leaped for joy because it was a rock that he always wanted to possess. And he asked the guy who was selling, how much is that rock going to cost me? The guy said, well, it's normally $15, but today I'm in a good mood. I'll give it to you for 10 So the guy buys the rock for $10 leaves the flea market as quick as he can, finds a quiet space, leaps for joy because he realized he just hit the rock jackpot. Had the rock appraised and a rock was worth a little over $2 million, so he thought. A $10 purchase that's worth over $2 million. What, What would you do if you paid $10 for something and found out it was worth $2 million? Some of y'all say, I would act a fool up in here, up in here. Well, that's kind of what's going on here in this passage. Jesus is talking to the multitudes. He's talking to the crowd, and he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then we get to verses 44 through 46, and Jesus tells two short parables, two short stories, a statement that brings a, a big kingdom impact or principle. And the point that Jesus is making as he tells these these parables is this, that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure of all treasures. And when a person finds it, it completely reorients their life. And so up until this point, he's been talking about what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, what it looks like to be under the reign and rule of God. And now he wants to answer the question is, is how do you know if you've become a kingdom citizen? 
How do you know if God's kingdom has become alive in your hearts? And that's the point that he's going to to press forward today with these parables. And there's two things we want to consider. The first is this, that the kingdom of God may be entered into under different circumstances. The kingdom of God may be entered into under different circumstances. Jesus tells a story. The first story is about a man who finds a a treasure in the field. And it's implied that this man kind of stumbles upon this treasure. He sees the treasure in the field. He digs it up. He hides it. And then he goes and sells everything that he has in order to purchase the field in which it is in. This man has stumbled on to the kingdom. The next story is going to be a story not of one who has stumbled upon the kingdom, but perhaps of one who was searching for truth, searching for more. He then tells a story about a man who has a pearl and he is looking for fine pearls. And then finally he finds this fine pearl and he goes and sells everything else that he has, all that he has in order to purchase this one pearl. These men have found the treasure of all treasures, and as a result, they are reorienting their entire lives around this treasure. One has stumbled upon it. The other was searching for it. Jesus is showing us perhaps that that there's many ways, different ways, different circumstances by which we come to the kingdom. The average Jew that's listening to this story, they would have kind of been familiar with what's going on as they lived in Palestine. In first century Jews, they would often bury their most precious possessions in the ground so that if a robber or a thief comes to their house and overtakes their house, that which is most precious to them is secure in the ground. This is before the access of of banks and things like that. They also would have been familiar with this because as a country who was war-stricken, as a country who had been through different battles and under different reigns and regimes, when a war broke out, people would bury their most precious treasure in the ground, hoping that after the war, they could come back and get it. So Jesus gives us this picture of these two guys, the first guy who stumbles upon the kingdom of heaven, and the audience would have been thinking, wow, what an incredible find. It's like he hit the lottery. And that's the truth for us. Some of us in here, we came stumbling into the kingdom. We weren't looking for Christ. Christ was far from our mind. We were just doing us, living our lives. And suddenly, Jesus was before you. And suddenly, you realized that you were a sinner in need of God's grace. And suddenly, you realized that that Jesus and with Jesus, your life makes sense. And you saw a holy God, a righteous God, a faithful God, a eternal God, a immutable, unchanging God. And you saw yourself and you said, I need that God. Without that God, there is no hope. Without that God, there's no peace. Without that God, there's no reconciliation. I am a sinner in need of salvation. You stumbled upon the kingdom. That's what happened to Matthew, the very writer of this book. As he is rehashing these parables that he has learned and telling other people about it, surely he would have thought about how he came to the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 9, we read these words, Matthew's testimony, Matthew's story. 
Verse 9, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when a Pharisee saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is Matthew's story. He was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, on top of that, working on behalf of Rome, he was alienated from his own people. He was seen as a sellout from his own people, as he was more than likely overtaxing his people. And his people, his own Jewish people, didn't have respect for him. I imagine that Matthew was hearing about this Jesus from Nazareth, who some thought was the Messiah. I imagine that he heard about his miracles that he heard about his grace, that he heard all these incredible stories, and he probably begins to think to himself, I I wish I could meet this Jesus. I wish I was worthy enough to follow him. And then one day, Jesus shows up to Matthew. Matthew stumbles upon Jesus. And suddenly, he sees that Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. He leaves behind being a tax collector. He leaves behind a life of wealth. He forsakes it all for the purpose of Jesus Christ. He found a treasure of all treasure, and that treasure reoriented his entire life. And so as Matthew is telling this story, he's thinking about, yes, I was probably that. I was that man who stumbled upon the kingdom. And here's the truth. Some of you in here today, by God's grace, I pray, will stumble upon God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Stumble upon today what it looks like to be under God's reign and rule. Stumble upon Jesus himself, for Jesus is the treasure of the kingdom. The king is the treasure in God's kingdom, that you will stumble upon it today. And you say, well, I just came today because a friend invited me. I just came today because I felt like I needed to go to church. I grew up in church. It wasn't for me. It was really law-based, and I felt like it wasn't life-giving. But I just came today just to come, to go through it. And I'm here. I like the building. I I enjoy the music. But that is not what it's about. Our hopes is, is that you would see Jesus as the treasure of all treasures and see yourself, your life, in light of his. To see that you are a sinner separated from a holy and righteous God, but that this God has come to bring salvation and that you can be reconciled to him and live life the way that God intended for you. Some of us, we didn't come to the kingdom by stumbling upon it. Some of us, we came searching, didn't we? Some of us knew that something was wrong. Perhaps we grew up in a different religion or perhaps we grew up in in the church, but it just wasn't making sense to us. And we got to a place of absolute desperation, and we didn't know what the answer was, but we just knew that we needed Jesus. And then one day, Jesus met you right where you were. Perhaps you heard a sermon preached. Perhaps you went to a vacation Bible study, or perhaps it was a friend's lifestyle that that made you thirsty. You thought to yourself, whatever you have, I want because I don't have it. And then on that day, 
Like this man in the field, the kingdom of heaven, which was hidden, became also clear to you. This reminds me of a man in the Bible by the name uh, who was an Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, we read about a guy who's reading the scriptures, he's reading the scroll, he's reading about prophet Isaiah and about a, a, a Messiah that is to come. And he's searching, but he can't understand the text. He can't understand the scripture. And then God sends a man by the name of Philip alongside this eunuch. And Philip comes alongside, almost is transported alongside this eunuch. And and they begin to have this conversation. And this eunuch says to, to Philip, I don't understand what this means. And this is what we read in verse 34 and 35. The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? himself or someone else. I love this. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, this man didn't just simply come stumbling upon the kingdom. This man was like the man who was out looking for a fine pearl. He was searching. He was begging God for insight. And God is so gracious and loving and compassionate He was seeking, but didn't know what he was looking for. And God said, let me send somebody your way. And that person opened up the scripture and opened up the text and showed how the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about the coming Messiah. And here's the point. The God's kingdom, we all Christians come under different circumstances. But here's what's amazing. Whether you stumbled your way in or whether you came searching, It is by grace that you found the kingdom. In both instances, this pearl, this this jewel, this hidden treasure, it's just that it is hidden. And the Bible teaches us that those who find the kingdom of heaven, you don't find the kingdom of heaven through your intellect. What separates you from your lost loved one is not that you're smarter than them. You don't find the kingdom of heaven because you were wiser. You don't find the kingdom of heaven because you were better. The only way that you are in this kingdom, the only reason that you are there is because God was gracious and he revealed to you his kingdom. That's what the Bible teaches. Perhaps that's what Jesus is trying to get across here to his disciples, to the crowd. Matthew 13, 35, earlier he says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. They're, they're hidden. It takes someone to reveal it. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things of God that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. All of us, the Bible teaches, before we found the kingdom was blind. We could not see it. We could not find it. It was foolishness to us. And it is by grace through faith that we were able to see it. It is by grace through faith that our hearts were made alive with Christ Jesus. It is by grace through faith that our affections begin to change. It is by grace through faith that suddenly we saw Jesus said, that treasure, that's the treasure that I want. That's the treasure that matters. That's the treasure that's worth it. And I'm ready to reorient my whole life around. And it wasn't our own work. It was the spirit that softened our hearts and that drew us to God himself. To the cross of Christ. First uh, John 1, 9 through 11, Jesus says, yet to all who did receive him, John writes, 
speaking of Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's the point. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is a gift from God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's by grace alone. That grace propels us to have joy because we realize that we have received a gift that is worth more than $2 million. Not for $10, but for free. Second emphasis in this passage is that the kingdom of heaven's value is absolutely priceless. It's absolutely priceless. We read that both of these men find this priceless gift and they go back and sell everything that they have. Can you see these guys? See the guy that's in the field, probably maybe he's working the field or walking through the field. He sees something that doesn't look right in the field and he just begins to dig. He finds this treasure. He's so excited. He's like, oh my goodness, this is a treasure of a lifetime. He hides it, covers it back up. Then he goes back to the crib, goes back to the hood. All of a sudden he's throwing a garage sale. I mean, and everything is for sale. All of his friends is coming around. They're looking like, man, how is everything for sale? Right? It's not just tables. And stuff. It's like beds for sale. His kids is walking across. They've got a sign on them. for. I'm just joking. Totally joking. <laughs> but to everyone else, he seems crazy. He's selling everything. And then someone asks him, what are you doing? I'm going to buy a field. A field? Why are you selling your house and you have no one to stay? I'm going to buy a field. Jesus is saying that's what salvation is like. When one comes to know Christ, he becomes the treasure of all treasures. And to people who are looking from the outside, it doesn't make sense. It's the story of the disciples. Come here, Peter. Come here, Andrew. Tell me about when you found Jesus. Yes. Come here, John. Come here, James. Tell me about when you found Jesus. Yes, when I found Jesus. It was absolutely amazing. People around me thought I was nuts. One day we were in a boat fishing and we was toiling all night and we couldn't find anything. And suddenly we heard Jesus' voice and Jesus said, cast your net to the right side. I mean, we're, we're, we're experienced fishermen. I yelled back to Jesus. I'm like, yo, Rabbi, we got this. But then he yells again, cast your net to the right side. And they do it and they cast their net to the right side and suddenly fish fill up the net and, and overtake the boat. The boat almost sinks. They come back to the shore. What is, how do they respond? They respond by falling to their knees and professing that Jesus is who at that point he revealed himself to be. Then they leave their fishing business. They follow this Jewish rabbi who is not very attractive to look, to look at, according to Isaiah. They, they follow him because they've never heard the things that he says, and they've never seen the things that he can do. They reorient their whole lives around this treasure that they found. Later on, there'll be a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a very religious man. According to Philippians chapter 3, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was an intellectual. He was zealous about the things of the law. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that Saul is traveling down the road of Damascus. Acts 9, suddenly he is met 
violently by the grace of God. He was not seeking the kingdom. He thought he had it, but he was seeking truth. And Jesus shows up, blinds Paul and draws his heart to him. And here's what Paul has to say about this treasure that he found that is priceless in Philippians 3, 7 and 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is Paul, one of the most learned men of his time, one of the most decorated men of his time. He has an experience with Jesus, the same Jesus that he was persecuting his people. And when he sees Jesus, when he comes through this field and finds Jesus, he says, everything else that I had is now lost. In fact, he goes on to say, everything that I had, he says, I consider them garbage. What? Why? That I may gain Christ. And that's what it means to to possess the kingdom of heaven. That's what it looks like. It looks like to, to be confronted with the person and work of Jesus Christ and then to look at everything else that you have and to say, it's rubbish, it's garbage, my good works, the way that I was trying to prove myself and earn my salvation, it is nothing. It does not account for anything. What saves me is God's grace. That it wasn't my performance. It wasn't the tribe that I was born into. It wasn't my education. It wasn't my good works. My good works weren't good enough. It was his works. It was his grace. It was his cross that transferred me from the domain of darkness into the the domain of light. That's what we read. Colossians chapter 317. This is where the joy comes from and is rooted. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's my question to you is, have you found that treasure? Have you found that treasure? Have you found that treasure? The treasure of all treasures. Has it reoriented your life? Here's how you know if you found that treasure. You know because your head is impacted. In both of these parables, both men mentally assess the value of the treasure with their minds. They both had to intellectually make a decision and see This is greater than that. Jesus is better than that. And upon looking at all of that, all of that they had, they made a decision that because it is better, I need to do something. It's called repentance. I need to turn from a life committed to myself and live for my own advantage to his advantage because he is better. And that's what happens when one enters the kingdom of heaven Mentally, they are able to ascend by faith and to say, this is better than that. This is the most precious thing that I've ever been encountered with and that I've ever seen. But listen, if that is the only thing that happens, you have not experienced this treasure. If it has only affected you intellectually, if it's only an intellectual exercise, you have probably never met the king. 
If the, first, if the reason you want to go to heaven is to debate with Jesus about soteriology and ecclesiology, you've got a problem. If the reason you are looking for it to go to heaven is to talk to James and to see why he wrote the, his book the way he did and it didn't seem to be an emphasis on grace, if you're going to heaven to set an apostle straight, look at somebody and say, you probably ain't going home. You probably ain't. Touch your neighbor and say, you probably ain't going home. It's more than an intellectual ascent. And this is true for myself. It's more than these intellectual truths. It's, it's intellect, yes, but it's also heart. It changes your affections. It changes your feelings. And that's the joy that we see happening in this passage. That there wasn't just a this is better than that. This, this is better than that. And, and I have something that's of an incredible, immeasurable value. It's joy. Joy is different. Just mere happiness. Joy is not circumstantial and it's not something that we can manufacture ourselves. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from a heart that has been captivated by Jesus as a result of his Holy Spirit. And that joy may not always be there, but, but the Spirit brings that joy up and causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, even when we're in the midst of dark seasons. But also it changes our hands. Now let me say here too, that if, if it's only an emotional thing for you, if it's never intellectual, what did Paul say? For the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus. There is a knowing about Jesus. If you have been redeemed, if you have been made new, there, is a, there should be at times a hunger to know more about him, a hunger to see him in the scriptures, a hunger to, to hear his voice and his word. If it's all about an experience, all about how you feel, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because an emotional salvation is bad for your health. That's an old rap song. Came tonight, say, folks. All right. So, third is, is hands. It affects your hands, right? They live out the value by the way they live their lives. They went and they did something, they put their hands to work. And this is an aspect of the kingdom. So how do we know? And here's the truth. Many of us in here, we have found that treasure. We treasure that treasure. But if you're like me, sometimes that treasure does not seem like it's the treasure of all treasures. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ equals life. But there are days and there are moments and there are seasons in every Christian's life where maybe to live is not Christ. Maybe, maybe, let's be real, maybe to live is to be respected by someone else. Maybe, maybe to live is to climb the corporate ladder. Maybe to live is to to be married. Maybe to live is to have a better marriage. Maybe to live is to, to strike it rich and to be able to travel when you want to travel. Maybe to, to live is just to be comfortable. Maybe to, to live is just to have all of your pleasures met. And that treasure that we found hidden in the field, we, it becomes hidden again because Satan has, let's be real, Satan has duped us. And sometimes he dupes us with what I call a demonic nostalgia. 
Sometimes the way Satan dupes us is through a demonic nostalgia. It's by getting us to believe that before we found this treasure, before we found Christ, life was better. I know I'm not alone. And he gets to all of a sudden you start just remember, oh, I remember what it was like every Saturday in the club. I remember what it was like doing me, and I didn't have to worry about if it was right or wrong. I remember what... No, no, no. Satan has duped you with a demonic nostalgia. The reason you came to Christ is because you were not fulfilled. The reason you came to Christ is because Jojo, Nuke, Nuke, Bebe wasn't satisfying. The reason you came to Christ is because you realized that no matter how much money you made, there was an emptiness in your soul. And you came crawling and begging. And when you found him, you knew that you found a treasure that was better than any other treasure. Don't let Satan dupe you. Father of lies. Got to remind yourself that all I have is Christ. So where's your heart? Where's your treasure today? Here's some questions that I want you to think about. Let's do a treasure diagnostic. Where does your mind go? during solitude when you don't have to think about anything else. When there's nothing else to think about habitually, regularly, daily, where does your mind go to? If the answer isn't Jesus, my invitation to you is to dig, wipe off that ground, place Jesus back where he belongs. What do you fantasize or worry about effortlessly? Is it what other people think of you? Is it what the future holds? What what is it? Is it what you're going to wear? What is it? What is it that if you should lose it, it would mean you would rather throw yourself off a bridge? If this was not true in my life, if God was to take this away, my life isn't worth it. Those are treasure questions, heart questions. And here's the truth. At some point and sometime, all of us, because we are fallen, we put something else in place of Christ. But here's Christ's invitation for you today. It is to reorient your life, to reorient your heart around Jesus Christ, your first love, to remember where you were when he found you to remember where you were when you were deplete and destitute and had no hope, to remember and I open your heart. Revelations 3.10. The Apostle John is talking to the churches at Ephesus through the Spirit. Jesus teaches him and says, give them this word. Give them this image. And here it is. This is Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus gives his word to the church who had grown to be lukewarm and cold. They were lukewarm. And Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, you're not treasuring me. If if your life is marked by lukewarmness, I'm going to spit you out because you never knew me. We may have seasons and, and times of lukewarmness, but to stay lukewarm is a deception. And it's to be deceived. But look at the invitation that Jesus gave these churches, churches that had walked away from him and made it about other things rather than the main thing. He says, here I am. And that's your invitation today. Here I am. 
He's talking to you, the person who came in here today going through the motions. Here I am. He's talking, he's talking to you, the one who used to be on fire for him and, and, and all you wanted to do was please him. But life, life, man, life is a beast. Life has a way of, of twisting you and turning you and, and elbowing you and, and, and shaping you and rocking you and, and getting to you to the point that you just start to wonder, is, is it even worth it? Is the kingdom even worth it? Is the king even worth it? Does God really love me? Is he for me? And this is Jesus saying... I'm at the door and I'm knocking, baby, I'm coming for you. I love you. You are precious to me. I died for you. You mean the world to me. And there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no fear that can keep me from you. You belong to me. And I'm coming down your aisle and I'm sitting next to you this morning and I'm saying, let's eat. Let's talk. Give me your pain. Give me your heartache. Give me your disappointments. Give me your fears. Give me your insecurities. Give me your dreams and let me counsel you. Let me walk with you. Let me give you a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. Let me give you a peace that passes all understanding. Let me show you how kind I am, how much I love you. And here's the best thing, the meal that Jesus wants to have with you. He's even saying, let me pay for it. It's free. I'm going to take the bill. All you have to do is bring me you. He said, I'll even help you with that. Isaiah 55. One through two. Invitation to prophet gave through the spirit. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, Come. Buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Listen to this. He knows what he says. He says, come you are thirsty and have no money. But then he says, buy and eat. And we see in this parable that both of these a persons, they went and sold everything that they had and they came back to buy. Is Jesus saying that we have to buy our way to the kingdom? That's not what he's saying at all. Because notice what he says, without money and without cost, he's not asking you to buy your way into the kingdom. He's asking you to buy in by faith. He's saying the mill is free. And he uses this parable, but in essence, he's saying it's free, buy in. How do you know when you bought in? You know when you bought in because you're willing to reorient your whole life for me. And because I'm all that matters. Get back to that place where I'm all that matters. A couple of weeks ago, man, I was just found myself in a, a dungeon of discouragement. And I remember just reflecting over the, the last uh, several years of ministry and the heartache and the pain and just found myself in a place where it was just hard to Get encouraged. I'm coming upon that Revelations 3 passage and preparing for this sermon and remembering and seeing this joy that this man had and, and remembering what that was like. And as I read Revelations 3, I, I sensed the invitation from Jesus to just stay at the table. The Lord was telling me, stay at the table. 
I know it's been hard. I know there's some things that discourage you. I know ministry isn't what you think it is. I know that you're not what you think you was, but just stay at the table. And that's God's invitation to someone here today who's come depleted and down and who's wondering if King Jesus is worth it. He's saying, stay at the table. Let me counsel you. I've got a word for you. Just stay at the table. And every Sunday when we gather together, we're reminded of the power that we receive when we stay at the table. We take a meal together called communion. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks and broke bread, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup, said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And every Sunday, we take this meal together as Christians to remind ourselves that Yes, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus, your treasure has overcome the world. And we take a meal and we hear that knock. By God's grace, we open the door and we say, Jesus, together we're saying, sup with us. Take a piece of bread. We dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but rather our encouragement is for you to take Christ, for you to see Jesus as the finest of all pearls, as the treasure of all treasures, to by faith reorient your whole life around him, to repent, turn from a life committed to serving you, and to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. And we want to invite you to do that today, to talk to someone here and just say, hey, I want to know Jesus and let them point you to someone or point you to Christ himself today. Those of you in the front half of the room, come to the front, back half of the room, go to the back to take communion. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's come to the table. Let's eat.